Section 2 of Bullfinches, The Legends of Charlemagne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Age of Charlemagne by Thomas Bullfinch. Section 2 The Tournament. It was the month of May and the Feast of Pentecost. Charlemagne had ordered magnificent festivities and summoned to them, besides his paladins and vassals of the crown, all strangers, Christian or Saracen, then sojourning at Paris. Among the guests were King Grandonio from Spain, and Ferro, the Saracen, with eyes like an eagle, Orlando and Rinaldo, the emperor's nephews, Duke Nemo, Astolfo of England, the handsomest man living, Malagigi, the enchanter, and Gano of Maganza, that wily traitor, who had the art to make the emperor think he loved him, while he plotted against him. High sat Charlemagne at the head of his vassals and his paladins, rejoicing in the thought of their number and their might, while all were sitting and hearing music and feasting when suddenly there came into the hall four enormous giants, having between them a lady of incomparable beauty, attended by a single knight. There were many ladies present who had seemed beautiful till she made her appearance, but after that they all seemed nothing. Every Christian knight turned his eyes to her, and every pagan crowded round her, while she, with a sweetness that might have touched a heart of stone, thus addressed the emperor. High-minded lord, the renown of your worthiness and the valour of these your knights, which echoes from sea to sea, encourages me to hope that two pilgrims, who have come from the ends of the world to behold you, will not have encountered their fatigue in vain. And before I show the motive which has brought us hither, learn that this knight is my brother, Uberto, and that I am his sister, Angelica. Fame has told us of the jousting this day appointed, and so the prince my brother has come to prove his valour, and to say that if any of the knights here assembled choose to meet him in the joust, he will encounter them one by one at the stair of Merlin by the fountain of the pine. And his conditions are these. No knight who chances to be thrown shall be allowed to renew the combat, but shall remain prisoner to my brother. But if my brother be overthrown, he shall depart out of the country, leaving me as the prize of the conqueror. Now it must be stated that this Angelica and her brother, who called himself Uberto, but whose real name was Argalia, were the children of Galifron, king of Cathay, who had sent them to be the destruction of the Christian host. For Argalia was armed with an enchanted lance, which unfailingly overthrew everything it touched, and he was mounted on a horse, a creature of magic, whose swiftness outstripped the wind. Angelica possessed also a ring, which was a defense against all enchantments, and when put into the mouth rendered the bearer invisible. Thus Argalia was expected to subdue and take prisoners whatever knight should dare to encounter him, and the charms of Angelica were relied on to entice the paladins to make the fatal venture, while her ring would afford her easy means of escape. 
When Angelica ceased speaking, she knelt before the king and awaited his answer, and everybody gazed on her with admiration. Orlando especially felt irresistibly drawn towards her, so that he trembled and changed countenance. Every knight in the hall was infected with the same feeling, not excepting old white-headed Duke Nemo and Charlemagne himself. All stood for a while in silence, lost in the delight of looking at her. The fiery youth Pharaoh could hardly restrain himself from seizing her from the giants and carrying her away. Rinaldo turned red as fire, while Malagigi, who had discovered by his art that the stranger was not speaking truth, muttered softly as he looked at her, "'Exquisite false creature! I will play thee such a trick for this as will leave thee no cause to boast of thy visit.' Charlemagne, to detain her as long as possible before him, delayed his assent till he had asked her a number of questions, all which she answered discreetly, and then the challenge was accepted. As soon as she was gone, Malagigi consulted his book and found out the whole plot of the vile, infidel King Galifron, as we have explained it, so he determined to seek the damsel and frustrate her designs. He hastened to the appointed spot, and there found the prince and his sister in a beautiful pavilion where they lay asleep, while the four giants kept watch. Malagigi took his book and cast a spell out of it, and immediately the four giants fell into a deep sleep. Drawing his sword, for he was a belted knight, he softly approached the young lady, intending to dispatch her at once. But seeing her look so lovely, he paused for a moment, thinking there was no need of hurry, as he believed his spell was upon her and she could not wake. But the ring which she wore secured her from the effect of the spell, and some slight noise, or whatever else it was, caused her at that moment to awake. She uttered a great cry and flew to her brother and waked him. By the help of her knowledge of enchantment, they took and bound fast the magician, and, seizing his book, turned his arts against himself. Then they summoned a crowd of demons and bade them seize their prisoner and bear him to King Galifron at his great city of Albraca, which they did, and on his arrival he was locked up in a rock under the sea. While these things were going on, all was uproar at Paris, since Orlando insisted upon being the first to try the adventure at the stair of Merlin. This was resented by the other pretenders to Angelica, and all contested his right to the precedence. The tumult was stilled by the usual expedient of drawing lots, and the first prize was drawn by Astolfo. Pharaoh the Saracen had the second, and Grandonio the third. Next came Berlingeri and Otto, then Charles himself, and as his ill fortune would have it, after thirty more the indignant Orlando. Astolfo, who drew the first lot, was handsome, brave, and rich. But whether from heedlessness or want of skill, he was an unlucky jouster and very apt to be thrown, an accident which he bore with perfect good humour, always ready to mount again and try to mend his fortune, generally with no better success. Astolfo went forth upon his adventure with great gaiety of dress and manner, encountered Argalia, and was immediately tilted out of the saddle. He railed at fortune, to whom he laid all the fault, 
but his painful feelings were somewhat relieved by the kindness of angelica who touched by his youth and good looks granted him the liberty of the pavilion and caused him to be treated with all kindness and respect the violent pharaoh had the next chance in the encounter and was thrown no less speedily than astolfo but he did not so easily put up with his mischance crying out what are the emperor's engagements to me he rushed with his sword against argalia who being forced to defend himself dismounted and drew his sword but got so much the worse of the fight that he made a signal of surrender and after some words listened to a proposal of marriage from pharaoh to his sister the beauty however feeling no inclination to match with such a rough and savage-looking person was so dismayed at the offer that hastily bidding her brother to meet her in the forest of ardennes she vanished from the sight of both by means of the enchanted ring argalia seeing this took to his horse of swiftness and dashed away in the same direction pharaoh pursued him and astolfo thus left to himself took possession of the enchanted lance in place of his own which was broken not knowing the treasure he possessed in it and returned to the tournament charlemagne finding the lady and her brother gone ordered the jousting to proceed as at first intended in which astolfo by aid of the enchanted lance unhorsed all comers against him equally to their astonishment and his own the paladin rinaldo on learning the issue of the combat of ferro and the stranger galloped after the fair fugitive in an agony of love and impatience orlando perceiving his disappearance pushed forth in like manner and at length all three are in the forest of ardennes hunting about for her who is invisible now in this forest there were two fountains the one constructed by the sage merlin who designed it for Tristram and the fair Isolde. For such was the virtue of this fountain, that a draught of its waters produced an oblivion of the love which the drinker might feel, and even produced aversion for the object formerly beloved. The other fountain was endowed with exactly opposite qualities, and a draught of it inspired love for the first living object that was seen after tasting it. Rinaldo happened to come to the first-mentioned fountain, and, being flushed with heat, dismounted, and quenched in one draught both his thirst and his passion. So, far from loving Angelica as before, he hated her from the bottom of his heart, became disgusted with the search he was upon, and, feeling fatigued with his ride, finding a sheltered and flowery nook, laid himself down and fell asleep. Shortly after came Angelica, but approaching in a different direction, she espied the other fountain, and there quenched her thirst. Then, resuming her way, she came upon the sleeping Rinaldo. Love instantly seized her, and she stood rooted to the spot. The meadow round was all full of lilies of the valley and wild roses. Angelica, not knowing what to do, at length plucked a handful of these and dropped them, one by one, on the face of the sleeper. He woke up, and seeing who it was, received her salutations with averted countenance, remounted his horse, and galloped away. 
In vain the beautiful creature followed and called after him, in vain asked him what she had done to be so despised. Rinaldo disappeared, leaving her in despair, and she returned in tears to the spot where she had found him sleeping. There, in her turn, she herself lay down, pressing the spot of earth on which he had lain, and out of fatigue and sorrow fell asleep. As Angelica thus lay, fortune conducted Orlando to the same place. The attitude in which she was sleeping was so lovely that it was not to be conceived, much less expressed. Orlando stood gazing like a man who has been transported to another sphere. "'Am I on earth?' he exclaimed, "'or am I in paradise? "'Surely it is I that sleep, and this is my dream.' "'But his dream was proved to be none, "'in a manner which he little desired. "'Pharaoh, who had slain Argalia, came up, "'raging with jealousy, "'and a combat ensued which awoke the sleeper. "'Terrified at what she beheld, "'she rushed to her palfrey, "'and while the fighters were occupied with one another, fled away through the forest. The champions continued their fight till they were interrupted by a messenger who brought word to Pharaoh that King Marsilius, his sovereign, was in pressing need of his assistance, and conjured him to return to Spain. Pharaoh, upon this, proposed to suspend the combat, to which Orlando, eager to pursue Angelica, agreed. Pharaoh, on the other hand, departed with the messenger to Spain. Orlando's quest for the fair fugitive was all in vain. Aided by the powers of magic, she made a speedy return to her own country. But the thought of Rinaldo could not be banished from her mind, and she determined to set Malagigi at liberty, and to employ him to win Rinaldo if possible, to make her a return of affection. She accordingly freed him from his dungeon, unlocking his fetters with her own hands, and restored him his book, promising him ample honors and rewards, on condition of his bringing Rinaldo to her feet. Malachigi, accordingly, with the aid of his book, called up a demon, mounted him, and departed. Arrived at his destination, he inveigled Rinaldo into an enchanted bark, which conveyed him without any visible pilot to an island where stood an edifice called Joyous Castle. The whole island was a garden, on the western side, close to the sea, was the palace built of marble, so clear and polished that it reflected the landscape about it. Rinaldo leapt ashore, and soon met a lady who invited him to enter. The house was as beautiful within as without, full of rooms adorned with azure and gold, and with noble paintings. The lady led the knight into an apartment painted with stories, and opening to the garden through pillars of crystal with golden capitals. Here he found a bevy of ladies, three of whom were singing in concert, while another played on an instrument of exquisite accord, and the rest danced round about them. When the ladies beheld him coming, they turned their dance into a circuit round him, and then one of them, in the sweetest manner, said, "'Sir Knight, the tables are set, and the hour for the banquet is come.' and with these words still dancing, they drew him across the lawn in front of the apartment to a table that was spread with cloth of gold and fine linen, under a bower of damask roses, by the side of a fountain. Four ladies were already seated there, 
who rose and placed Rinaldo at their head in a chair set with pearls. And truly, indeed, was he astonished. A repast ensued consisting of viands the most delicate, and wines as fragrant as they were fine, drunk out of jeweled cups. And when it drew towards its conclusion, harps and lutes were heard in the distance, and one of the ladies said in the knight's ear, this house and all that you see in it are yours, for you alone was it built, and the builder is a queen. Happy indeed must you think yourself, for she loves you, and she is the greatest beauty in the world. Her name is Angelica. The moment Rinaldo heard the name he so detested, he started up with a changed countenance, and in spite of all that the lady could say, broke off across the garden, and never ceased hastening till he reached the place where he landed. The bark was still on the shore. He sprang into it and pushed off, though he saw nobody in it but himself. It was in vain for him to try to control its movements, for it dashed on as if in fury, till it reached a distant shore covered with a gloomy forest. Here Rinaldo, surrounded by enchantments of a very different sort from those which he had lately resisted, was entrapped into a pit. The pit belonged to a castle called Altarepa, which was hung with human heads and painted red with blood. As the paladin was viewing the scene with amazement, a hideous old woman made her appearance at the edge of the pit, and told him that he was destined to be thrown to a monster, who was only kept from devastating the whole country by being supplied with living human flesh. Rinaldo said, Be it so. Let me but remain armed as I am, and I fear nothing. The old woman laughed in derision. Rinaldo remained in the pit all night, and the next morning was taken to the place where the monster had his den. It was a court surrounded by a high wall. Rinaldo was shut in with the beast, and a terrible combat ensued. Rinaldo was unable to make any impression on the scales of the monster, while he, on the contrary, with his dreadful claws, tore away plate and mail from the paladin. Rinaldo began to think his last hour was come, and cast his eyes around and above to see if there was any means of escape. He perceived a beam projecting from the wall at the height of some ten feet, and taking a leap almost miraculous, he succeeded in reaching it, and in flinging himself up across it. Here he sat for hours, the hideous brute continually trying to reach him. All at once he heard the sound of something coming through the air like a bird, and suddenly Angelica herself alighted on the end of the beam. She held something in her hand towards him, and spoke to him in a loving voice. But the moment Rinaldo saw her he commanded her to go away, refused all her offers of assistance, and at length declared that, if she did not leave him, he would cast himself down to the monster and meet his fate. Angelica, saying she would rather lose her life than displease him, departed. But first she threw to the monster a cake of wax she had prepared, and spread around him a rope knotted with nooses. The beast took the bait, and finding his teeth glued together by the wax, vented his fury in bounds and leaps, and soon getting entangled in the nooses, drew them tight by his struggles so that he could scarcely move a limb. Rinaldo, watching his chance, leapt down upon his back, 
seized him round the neck and throttled him, not relaxing his grip till the beast fell dead. Another difficulty remained to be overcome. The walls were of immense height, and the only opening in them was a grated window of such strength that he could not break the bars. In his distress Rinaldo found a file which Angelica had left on the ground, and with the help of this effected his deliverance. What further adventures he met with will be told in another chapter. End of section 2